Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday night, March 27th, 2022. It's the Marks here, Daly and Hamilton, to recap what was a very, very exciting 2022 Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Mr. Hamilton, welcome back. How's your weekend been, buddy? Can, can I say it on air? Canada. Say it on air. Canada has qualified for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. I didn't think that was ever going to happen. And fingers crossed, our, our U.S. friends, our neighbors to the south will qualify too. But we have qualified for the first time since 1986. Are you excited? Oh, of course I'm excited. I mean, uh, we do talk about uh, our other favorite sports on this podcast from time to time. But this is the biggest achievement for the Canadians men's national team in basically a generation. So I'm uh, extremely excited about that. Shout out to Charlie Tinkler in the uh, the live chat on YouTube tonight. Charlie, how's it going, buddy? Glad to see you online and joining in. So, Mark, wow, what's an exciting weekend of Formula One that we saw at uh, Jeddah this past weekend. There was a a lot of drama and a lot of things going on. We didn't have a full field uh, take to the grid on Sunday for a couple of different reasons. Yuki Sonoda had uh, gremlins in that uh, Alpha Tauri all weekend long. Mick Schumacher, obviously the big shunt in qualifying, which was a scary moment and which really uh, demolished the Haas. And wisely, they kept him out uh, just for observation and not rushing him back into the car. Because let's face it, that guy's going to be sore today hitting the wall. At, what was it? About 180, 190 miles an hour and uh, well, well let's go there first of all let's uh before we do that i'm, I'm gonna do what we uh we rarely do and uh, we'll read off the, uh, the the race classification first of all winning the race the 2022 saudi arabia grand prix max verstappen for red bull leading home charles leclerc and boy did those two uh, trade punches in the last uh, several uh, laps really exciting Carlos Sainz rounding out another uh, podium finish for him in the second Ferrari. Sergio Perez, what a tough Sunday for Checo. I feel legit bad for the guy because he did not, he, he did a lot more to deserve that uh, fourth place. We'll get into that as well. George Russell for Mercedes in fifth. Esteban Alca, sixth for Alpine. Seventh was Lando Norris for Mercedes. Pierre Gasly in the AlphaTauri eighth. K-Mag in the points again for the Haas Ferrari. Another good, um, very solid start. Start for the season for, for, for K-Mag and Lewis Hamilton after a horrible, horrible Saturday in qualifying, not getting out of Q1 since the first time since what, 2016, 2017, something 2017, like that. Brazil Grand Prix. 2017, maybe. yeah, bad, bad uh, weekend for Lewis. Managed to claw back some points, but not a very good start to the season for him. So in the Constructors, uh, or sorry, let's go to the uh, the Drivers' Championship. First of all, uh, Charles Leclerc leading the World Championship right now, 45 points. His team Carlos Sainz with 33 points. Max Verstappen scoring points for the first time this year, 20 
75, only three points ahead of George Russell. Lewis Hamilton, fifth place with 16 points. Esteban Ocon, solid start to the season for uh, for the Frenchman, 14 points. Sergio Perez, 12, and Kevin Magnussen, 12 points. On the constructors' uh, side of the uh, standings, it is Ferrari leading the way with 78 points. Mercedes with 38, only a single point ahead of Red Bull with 37. Uh, Alpine with 16. Haas with 12. Alfa Romeo with 9. Alfa Tauri with 8. And McLaren with a measly 6 points. So, Mr. H... Like we said, there was a, a lot of things, but the one, the, the two, let's talk about qualifying first of all, because there was a couple of uh, big, big issues, big, were notable things that happened on Saturday. Number one was the accident of Mick Schumacher. Number two was uh, Lewis Hamilton not making it out of uh, Q1, despite his uh, teammate going on. Mr. Saturday, uh, George Russell, uh, again, uh, qualifying very well. And then Sergio Perez putting it on pole for the first time. So I'm going to throw it to you. First of all, you can cherry pick which one of those topics you want to run with uh, first of all. So, so go for it. You're very kind. And I'm actually going to go in a slightly different direction and go a little bit off script, but I think there's a third option. And I think that option is the fact that qualifying happened at all. You know, you, me, yeah. Vincenzo all night Friday, we're, we're, we're messaging each other and we're DMing and, and we're chatting because there was an never ending three reportedly three, four hour driver meeting in Saudi Arabia in Jeddah following free practice too. Because if you, <clears throat> if you were watching and consuming the formula one Grand Prix weekend and, and global news, you would know that there was a strike on a Saudi Aramco oil facility within the jurisdiction of Jeddah city. And that happens, I believe, somewhere around free practice one. Free practice mm-hmm. two was delayed. And then after free practice two, the drivers got together. The Grand Prix Drivers Association had a long conversation. And it's been reported that a majority or a consensus of all of the drivers had decided that they didn't want to race. And it took some strong arming from Ross Braun, Stefano Domenicali, the FIA president, and a number of the team principals to convince them with documentation and evidence provided by Saudi authorities that it would in fact be safe to race on Saturday. So there was a distinct possibility, you know, Friday night, our time that we weren't even going to have a Grand Prix weekend. And Mm -hmm. once again, Formula One found itself at this intersection of sports and entertainment in geopolitics. And I'll be very honest, there was a there was a moment of reflection or inflection for me on Friday where I was talking to some friends and just F1 keeps finding a way to put itself in these situations based on some of the decisions it makes about who to partner with, who to, who or where to, where to locate races. So fortunately for F1 fans and those that felt the race weekend should proceed, it did. But I'll be very honest, Friday night, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to show up for another podcast because it can be very difficult sometimes to disentangle sports and entertainment with geopolitics and F1 finds its finds a way sometimes to put itself there. So all of that said, obviously you and I tuned in on Saturday. We tuned in on Friday. The Grand Prix weekend went ahead. Fortunately for everybody in the jurisdiction of Jeddah, there were no further strikes. There was no casualties. That's a good news story. We go into qualifying. And like you said, there's a couple of things that you could pull at. One is the shocking bounce of, of Lewis Hamilton not getting through Q2. And the other is the major, the major shunt and major impact of Mick Schumacher. And if you want to pull the thread, as you would say, that's my favorite term that I've learned from you, by the way, pulling on the thread. (laughs) If you pull the thread on Lewis, you can go down that channel of talking about 
his setup and how the car was yeah. ill-equipped or wasn't prepared. And then why did they not do a pit lane start and reset the car? And then if you want to go down the Mick Schumacher storyline, you could talk about the fact that this is an incredibly dangerous track. And maybe the changes that you and I and Vincenzo talked about a couple of days ago that were intended to make the racing experience here safer, maybe they weren't necessarily as effective as they should have been. So all of that said, I think it's kind of fortunate that there was a race at all. My, my my honest opinion still is that the race shouldn't have gone ahead. It did. Our obligation is that we're going to show up and talk about it. And fortunately, there was no casualties or further strikes. Race week, weekend ahead. So in terms of qualifying, for me, I think the bigger story, even than Lewis getting bounced, is the impact of Mick. Because to me, that was a... Oh had a dark precedence going into a Grand Prix race. And fortunately, which we'll get to, there was no further major contact like that. But I think it just speaks to the dangers of the circuit. What about you? If you had to measure up those two that you referenced, Lewis as a shocker or the the Mick contact, which of those is a bigger story for you in qualifying? Well, they're both big stories, but uh, for for different reasons. I mean, uh, number one, you, you don't want to see a driver have a big sh- a moment like that, uh, you know, at, at any time, at any race, on any track. I mean, that was a big, big shunt. I mean, the, the, just the way he went through the corner. I mean, he just got up on the curbs, and I mean, any other track that, that they go to, I mean, he's going to have a nice big runoff area, and it, yes, it's not going to be an yes. issue. But the problem is with like these uh, street circuits. I mean, you could uh, maybe make the same argument uh, or make the same case uh, for for Baku, for example, where you. You know, you're racing through a city, Monaco as well, although Monaco is much lower speeds than we're seeing at Jeddah, like we're seeing at Baku. Um, but, you know, once you get off of the track, the, the, the next point of contact is going to be a concrete barrier and a chain link fence. You know, fortunately for Mick, I mean, he did, uh, I, I mean, there was going to be no good way he was going to hit it. It was going to be a big whack. But I mean, fortunately, when, when you see the, the in-car camera, which it took a long time on Saturday to get that replay up and replayed on the television feed. I didn't really go back. I, I didn't get a chance on Saturday to go back and look for the footage, but they replayed it uh, this morning. Uh, prior to the Grand Prix and you know he was moving out a bit but you could tell that inside that survival cell inside the cockpit that stayed completely intact and the way that the car disintegrated and the way that everything broke apart you know to dissipate the energy of the impact the car did what it was supposed to do but I was really quite shocked when they were trying to remove the car from the track after Mick had been taken, he was you know, taken in the ambulance over to the medical center for evaluation, but they tried to hoist this thing back up, uh, you know, th- this car hoisted up onto the back of a flatbed truck and it basically fell apart. You know, the, yeah, the, you know, the, the power unit, yeah, it just completely fell apart. So it was going to be, you know, and number one, the, 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 the most important thing is always the health and safety of the driver. Fortunately, you know, Mick, uh, other than being uh, shooken up, uh, shaken up, it was just a precautionary, but it was going to be tough for, for those, uh, you know, mechanics to put that car back together, <laughs> regardless if, um, you know, they, you know, if, if they decided to, to race today or not. So I, I think the decision was, uh, was pretty well uh, made for them, but I mean, it, it is also equally shocking for, for, for Lewis that that Q1 exit just not being able to get that car set up to, to his liking because that is just not a place that we're seeing used to seeing lewis hamilton you know he, i mean th- this is probably going to be an outlier but it just goes to show you that there are still issues with this uh, the, this new mercedes car but on the flip side his teammate uh, george russell is able to take it all the way to q3 and qualifies in p6 i mean if you look at lewis's time in 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 q1 he set a time of 130.343 compared to george 
in in Q3, he, his time was a 129.104. I did, did I see Q3 for Lewis? If I did, pardon me, I meant uh, Q1. So I mean, right there, there's over like 1.2 seconds uh, between the two qualifying sessions. And I mean, of course, the track evolves and the you know conditions and and uh, the, the the track changes over time as well. But I mean, that was really really quite striking and just the fact that uh, you know Lewis had those issues and of course some of the things that were happening on the track as well just uh, made it uh, difficult for him and you know just to, to, to maybe just dial it back a little bit and maybe kind of work the, the, the Mick Schumacher thing back into it as well is that despite we saw some some people tagging the wall throughout uh, the, the the race and throughout the weekend i was actually surprised that there there weren't more incidents of contact so despite you know the, the the big one i mean well w- one of the things we're going to think about when we look back at this race is obviously the big moment that mick schumacher had but i i couldn't help but think that you know it really is an exciting track but is you know is that okay because sure it was exciting and fun to watch at times today but i still just can't get it out the back of my mind that there is just an inherently dangerous nature to the circuit and i think it's just going to be there no matter what they do and whatever changes they make to it yeah i i very much agree with that assessment and we were doing a spaces chat earlier today and one of the one of the participants i think i think it was marshall had made this made this kind of insightful comment that when they were designing this track, they went almost exclusively with concrete barriers and, and mesh catch fencing. And the reality is they, they could have gone with tech pro in, in a lot of the more dangerous sections and they opted not to do that. And ultimately I place less of the blame on the track, kind of the race organizers than I do the FIA, because ultimately it's the FIA that certifies the track for formula one usage, which is a little bit alarming. And I think the outcome of the race today, which obviously there was, there was some contact with with Latifi in the wall, which we'll get to, which was a big story today. Uh, obviously, a couple of cars came together and we had some reliability issues, but I think we were incredibly lucky that we didn't have red flag conditions at any point during the Grand Prix this weekend yeah. as we did just a couple of months ago in December. And I think that might just be that might be as much luck as it is drivers becoming more comfortable with this track because it is just be, yeah. so incredibly unforgiven and or unforgiving. And there was a couple of quotes today that I'll read. This is from Sergio Perez, and he's referring to the, the Jetta Cornish track. I think it's definitely the most dangerous place in the calendar. That's no secret about it, he said. And he continues, it really demands a lot from the drivers, from the cars, from the teams. If you get it wrong, it can be a huge accident. I don't know if there's something we can do about turn 22 and 23 because it's a really high speed section. It's more dangerous in the race, but I think it's the same after qualifying. The last thing I want to think about is the track. And I think what compounds the issue, and this is maybe why we got a little bit lucky today, is none of these teams have set up the cars Mm -hmm. to the optimal specification, meaning that 10 races from now, 15 races from now, these cars will be evolutions beyond where they are in terms of stability and in terms of balance. And I think what we saw from Mick today or what we saw from Mick on Saturday was maybe partially driver error, but I think a lot of it was just balance issues. It was less that he'd hit the curve because I think under other circumstances, he probably would have been fine. It's just that the rear of the car was so unsettled and there was so much, Mm. so little balance in the rear wheels that it just tripped the car and, and triggered a spin and it started rotating. And I think that's, you know, a a consequence of the fact that the cars aren't optimized, aren't fully dialed in yet. But the 
the the re- reason it hit a concrete wall is because there was a concrete wall there and because this track is simply so unforgiving. And if that was at Albert Park next weekend, maybe his race weekend's over, but you know, maybe he would have settled in the gravel or maybe he would have settled into yeah. a fence that was a hundred feet away from the tarmac and the aggregate of the track. So I think it's still an incredibly dangerous track. And we had a spaces chat on Friday and one of our listeners who's actually from Jeddah, a great friend of the show, he made a comment that this track is possibly so dangerous that the right thing mm. to do might be to retire the track and resume the Saudi Grand Prix once Kadia is ready, which is the purpose built dedicated circuit that's being built about an hour outside of Riyadh. Fortunately, yeah. today we got we were fortunate in the fact that there was only that one collision. But I think the Mick shunt illustrates how dangerous this track can be, especially with non-optimized cars. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's uh, move along now. And uh, we have to talk about um, Checo Perez, obviously. First uh, pole position that came, what, 11 years into his uh, career. And I, I think in general, uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting start to the season. Great start to the season for Ferrari, so-so for Red Bull, and not the greatest start to, for, for uh, Mercedes. But what a way to come back after such a disappointing weekend in Bahrain last week. Obviously, Max wins it with those uh, thrilling last couple of laps that uh, fight that he had with uh, with uh, with uh, Charles uh, I was gonna say Charles Perez got <laughs> losing my mind here Charles Leclerc but I mean Checo really set the set the tone because I don't think anybody expected to see him put it on pole and I couldn't help but thinking that maybe Checo's really settling in to that really solid number two driver to give this team a one-two punch and it was just really really unfortunate that that safety car came so early in the race he had just pitted and then you have the you know this whole incident going on so why did you set it up and we can just kind of take it from there because Checo ends up in P4 and then he passes um, Carlos Sainz coming out of the pits and then he has to end up uh, giving the, the the place back. And again, this was triggered by uh, Nicholas Latifi having a bit of a, a strange moment out of the corner, maybe just put the power down a little early, puts it into the wall. And then, you know, we have the, the, the what was it, a virtual safety car and then a full on safety car. And all these uh, different things, which, you know, you're going to expect to see at some point at a track like uh, Jetta. But why, why don't we talk a little bit more about that? First of all, let's talk about uh, Sergio's pole performance on Saturday. First, first thing, credit is due. You know, that was an absolutely sensational lap by Sergio Perez, snatching, snatching a, a consecutive pole out of Charles Leclerc in the dying seconds of Q3 after there, of course, been that hour long break because they were busy yep. trying to clean up the clean up the accident that um, MSC was in, involved in. So he he rocks a 128.2. I think this is an extraordinarily great time uh, because if you look back last year, if you look at the first ever Saudi Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton took pole in Q3 with a 127.5. So he was only seven tenths off of the pole time that was set by Lewis Hamilton last year. And what's remarkable about that is, and I was talking to Tim Haraney about this earlier, so many people hold up the 2020 and 2021 Formula One cars as the gold standard, the benchmark of all-time great Formula One cars in terms of raw performance, speed, mechanical grip, etc. Interesting, eh? And and here we are, just a couple of months later, two races into the new era, into the new world of the regulations. 
And we're less than a second off of the pole time that was set last year, which is absolutely remarkable. Now, of course, these cars are finding speed in different places. They're finding the speed in the straights. They are significantly mm -hmm. slower in slow speed corners, partly because of the 18 inch wheels and tires and all that unsprung weight, partly because they're carrying extra 50 kilograms of, of weight, but they are significantly sure. faster than I think what you and I had expected them to be. So all the praise in the world to Sergio Perez yeah. there. Now, yeah, well, I, I mean, the speculation part of me just to jump in is they were right. expecting to be what, maybe four or five seconds a lap slower. I mean, to be only a second off last year's pull time at, the, at this point in the evolution of these brand new cars is is astounding. We still see that that a lot of these teams obviously haven't dialed these cars into where they, they are and they haven't found the optimum setup. I mean, Lewis Hamilton is the the, the, the perfect example there. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And obviously, Ferrari and Red Bull are much farther down that journey than obviously Aston Martin, Williams, McLaren, and Mercedes. But don't think for a second that they're fully optimized and that they are extracting yeah. maximum performance value out of these cars because they're not there yet. It does speak to the fact that their balance, their stability, it's in a much better place than some of these other teams. But I think Sergio deserves a significant amount of credit here as the Charles mm -hmm. and, and Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen, because these cars are as equally unfamiliar to them as they are anyone else on the grid. You know, we'll, we'll get to Nicholas Latifi in a moment here, but he is massively struggling with these new cars and these new regulations and Sergio Perez and Charles and Carlos and Max and Esteban and Fernando and Valtteri are obviously doing a much better job. So to your point, we'll set this up. Sergio Steele's poll. It's the first poll of his career. Yesterday also marked the 11th anniversary of his debut in Formula One. So it took 11 years. Congratulations, <laughs> Sergio. You've Time got your flies. first poll. Fantastic. We go into the race. He's clean off the line. We have a clean first lap. I was expecting a much, I was expecting a much messier start to this race. We were very, very fortunate. And then in lap 16, Nicholas Latifi battling nobody but himself ultimately hits a wall. And, and this is something that I talked to talked to Tim quite a bit about earlier today is this seemed to be a combination of a number of factors. And I, I think the first thing I want to speak to here is that almost immediately after it happened, Nicholas was, uh, was interviewed in the paddock and they asked him, Hey, what had happened? How are you feeling? He's like, you know what? Physically I'm fine. He was incredibly, incredibly critical of the car. And mm. this is not something I'm used to seeing out of Nicholas. He's usually one of those guys that we, 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 us, 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 we won, we won, or, you know, we have work to do We you have work to do, but he was incredibly frustrated with the car. He was incredibly frustrated with the progress of development. He was incredibly frustrated of where the car was. And he spoke to, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but he spoke to the fact that he approached that corner in lap 16, no differently than he did at any other point in the race. And what he was alluding yeah. to or inferring was the lack of stability in the back end was so poor that he broke grip, the rear end stepped out. And again, Jeddah being Jeddah, it's such an unforgiving track. He had nowhere to go, but make contact with that concrete barrier. So he goes in. Now, it, timing couldn't have been worse for Sergio Perez because Sergio Perez looking, looking to fight off the potential undercut from Charles Leclerc had just pitted for fresh tires. The fact that he had just pitted meant he was out of fresh tires. Like you said, there was a virtual safety car, a safety car, and then there was a swarm into the garages to swap for new tires. And Christian Horner had an interesting quote this weekend as well, following the race. And he said that, you know what, 
sometimes when there's a safety car, it helps you. And sometimes it hurts you. And I don't know that he mm. was necessarily thinking about Abu Dhabi when he made that comment, but the irony there was very, very strong. <laughs> but ultimately, it put uh, it push, put uh, Sergio Perez in, in a bad position. So he lost the lead, though, through no fault of his own, but it then set Charles Leclerc in a really good position to chase a race win. You know, because it was interesting prior to that happening, you heard like some of the comments on race radio from the Ferrari uh, pit wall uh, telling Charles that they're going to come in. And I think the the, uh, the direct uh, quote, pardon me, was uh, box to overtake. So they are obviously thinking of the undercut. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this drama happens and it was just so unfortunate for, for, for Sergio. But then when uh, he's going around and then everybody sort of floods into the pits and they all start filtering back out on the track. He has that little moment uh, with uh, Carlos Sainz. Carlos comes in, he kind of squeezes him and he passes him and then, you know, kind of gained an advantage and Carlos on the, 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 the radio right away. And then Sergio did do the right thing. You know, the, the team told him to give him the, the give the place back when they went to, back to racing. And unfortunately for Sergio at that point, he just wasn't able to find the same pace in the, those subsequent phases of the race as he did to start. I, I couldn't feel help but feeling uh, bad for him because he looked so good in qualifying. He looked good through that first, what was it, 14 or 15 laps before Nicky put it into the wall. And it was just, it's just kind of a reminder of how cruel Formula One can be at some times. It's just like, you could do everything right. And then for uh, circumstances beyond your control, you can have it snatched away from you. But I mean, at least on the flip side, at least what it did ultimately set up for was that epic battle between Charles and Max in those last, uh, what was it, about six or seven or eight laps or whatever yeah. it was. Because then at the end, you know, we had another safety. Because we had that bizarre situation where we saw like three cars retire all in the same lap. We had first Fernando Alonso, then we had Danny Ricardo, and then we had Valtteri Bottas. And, 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 and Bottas was another guy I was feeling really bad for because, you know, I, I know in previous years, you know, he was a bit of, I don't want to say a little bit kind of like a you know a, a bit of a joke on the show, but we kind of made light of the fact that you know it wasn't going to be it, w- it wasn't a realistic thing for him to sort of come out and kind of say that he was going to be a title challenger to to Lewis at Mercedes. I mean, he did a great job there, but I really liked what I've seen from Valtteri at Alfa Romeo over the first couple of races. I loved seeing him up there in those points paying positions. He was up there as high as about six. I think he was running in P6 at the time when he retired. I thought, you know what, Valtteri, good for you. You know, you go, you do this wonderful job at Mercedes. Ultimately, you get, find yourself the odd man outs when the musical chairs stop. They want to look to the newer, younger, hotter prospect in George Russell, which, you know, kind of makes sense considering where Valtteri is in his career and you know his age over 39 I think he's what 31 32 something like that so you can see that they're looking at uh, some succession planning here and having somebody in place for when Lewis decides to walk away from Mercedes in Formula One right but anyways uh, Valtteri did make that move to Alpha and I was a little bit I'd have to say skeptical what had happened. I'm just like, oh, Valtteri, you know, is that really the right place for you to go? That seems like such a backward step uh, considering how how poor they were last year. But they, they've started very well this season. And, well, I mean, obviously, besides you know, a, a DNF today for, for uh, mechanical issues. But that was just uh, so so strange the way that we, we saw them all sort of <laughs> pull over to the side of the track there at uh, one after another after another. Another tough uh, race for... Um, 
Ricardo and for McLaren. And then Alonso was looking uh, really racy. And then, uh, you know, we, we should also bring this into the discussion. We're going to talk about how exciting it was to watch Max and Charles over those last couple of laps. That wasn't the only moment of excitement that we saw throughout uh, the day. We saw plenty of passing up and down the field from, from front to end. And in between, we saw some great hard, hard racing between the two Alpine drivers of Esteban Ocon and, uh, and Fernando Alonso early in the race. And that was exciting to watch. Uh, I know that they had uh, had uh, Otmar Safna, our team principal of Alpine, on uh, on the broadcast with Crofty and Jensen Button at one point. But you could, uh, I, I thought it was great, you know, because the, the 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 TV producers actually had the camera on Safna at a couple of times. You could just almost see him biting the nails there. That was great fun to watch. Flashbacks to Force India when Esteban Ocon would battle <laughs> with Sergio Perez. Yeah, right. Oh exactly. my goodness. I, I have to say last weekend I had caution because Bahrain was so excited and or so exciting. And I think we were all caught off guard and pleasantly surprised by the amount of close racing there was and how close yeah. cars were able to get to the car in front of them. But I cautioned everybody that Jeddah is not going to be a good litmus test for the new regulations because it's not designed for really great racing and overtaking. There's some high-speed sections where DRS can be really effective, but aside from that, don't expect to see a lot of great racing. And I couldn't have been more wrong with my expectations about this race weekend. This weekend was Bahrain amplified by by amplified by 10 based on what we'd seen. And you're absolutely right. Early in the race, we saw an epic duel between Esteban Ocon and teammate Fernando Alonso. And obviously by the end, Fernando Alonso had demonstrated he had better pace. Otmar's reactions on the pit wall were absolutely classic. And post-race, Julian Palmer was quoted as saying he'd run out of, uh, what is the word? I'm going to need your help with this one because it's not a word I use very often, but he had run out of superlatives. Is that a word Mm -hmm. that he'd run out of superlatives when he was calling the race? And I thought that was, I thought that was fantastic and really helped summarize what we'd seen this race weekend. But if, if we want to use Bahrain and we want to use Jeddah as a sample of whether or not the regulations are working, I think what we've seen so far is a resounding yes. And I think it's only going to get better. And it probably speaks to the fact that, you know, next year, maybe the year after DRS won't be a part of the sport anymore because a muted version of DRS was held over simply because they weren't fully confident that the effects of the regulation would be fully felt yet. And so far it looks like they absolutely are. And just to touch on those three coincidental DNFs at the very end of the race, lap 37, lap 38, we saw Alonso who had been in that really great mini duel with Kevin Magnuson. He suddenly loses power, tries to get his way back to the pits. Simultaneously, Daniel Ricardo, he's downshifting going into a corner using the engine brakes to slow the car. He loses what I think was probably the drivetrain or the driveshaft, ultimately has to jump on the brakes so his front tires lock up. He can't even get to the pit. And then Valtteri Bottas had spoken after the race about the fact that he was having major engine temperature issues. So he was trying to get the car in clean air to help cool down the engine. But the engine was getting so hot, they feared that they would have a complete engine freeze or complete engine lockup, and they would be penalized by having to take a power unit earlier in the season than expected so they retired the car knowing that if they continued they would have lost the power unit and not finished the race anyway so they were just being very conservative but on the Valtteri Bottas piece 
you know, the other thing that we should probably remember too is it was widely reported last year that he was being wooed by Williams, his old team, the team that he broke into Formula One with. And you look at his decision making now, I thought Williams would be a really great fit for him based on the trajectory and the Mm -hmm. transformational change that we're seeing with that team institutionally. I thought that was going to be a really great fit. Went to Alfa Romeo. I looked at last year. They finished with 13 points. Is this a great place for him to go? It has been a fantastic fit for him. And if you look at Williams, Williams is a total, total disaster this year. The car is fundamentally flawed. Nikki is struggling Badly, And I hate to say it, but I think people have been sympathetic to him. Despite being a pay driver, he's very, very likable. He's crashed out now in two of his last three races. He crashed out in qualifying. He, from a mental, psychological perspective, he's clearly in a bad place. I hope he can get himself reset. Albert Park, although changed, should be should be a little bit more forgiving. Of course, we haven't been there in three years. He's never raced a Formula One car there. Alex Albon, obviously, he was in contention for finishing the race. He ultimately comes together with Lance Stroll. I think in hindsight, that was very much an Alex Albon misjudgment going into that corner a little bit hot. Probably didn't dive bomb Lance, as Lance described on the radio, but Williams is in a world of hurt. But clearly, Valtteri was getting some really great advice when he made that decision to go to Alfa Romeo for 2022 and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mark, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we've got some uh, little uh, sound bites, not sound bites, but some little word bites, if you want to call it that. <laughs> some little quotables. We'll talk about those in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, welcome back to the show. You're listening to the podcast as always up to speed with Formula One and the Marks. And we are talking about the 2022 Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Obviously, a very eventful weekend, very eventful race. Uh, some of the quotes that came out, uh, Sergio Perez said losing the win in uh, in Saudi hurts because of the ill-timed uh, safety car. Well, <laughs> obviously, not much more can add to that. Charles Leclerc <laughs> said there was not much more that he could do to win the the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Oh, just a little add on there. So uh, Alex Albon's been hit with a three grid place penalty for that move and that accident uh, that uh, he was involved with a Lance Stroll in the closing laps of the race on Sunday. Lewis Hamilton says that uh, Mercedes is still far off Ferrari and Red Bull, which I think is, uh, you know, pretty obvious. And they got a lot of work to do there for the silver uh, arrow. So where should we uh, go with that one? Oh, there was one other quote there that uh, Verstappen said he played smart tricks in order to beat Charles Leclerc for the win in Saudi. So there's uh, plenty of interesting things there. L- l- let's talk about uh, Mercedes uh, first of all, because uh, the other stuff, uh, talking about the, the 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 track and the and the race itself, I think we've uh, talked about. Do you want to talk about a couple of those quotes there from the Red Bull and the uh, Ferrari. We drivers. should probably but, talk uh, about that duel between Leclerc and Max before we sign off too. But I am hungry to talk yes, about totally. Mercedes. I'm hungry to talk about Mercedes. Yeah, I, I just want to get that one out of the way because I, I want to finish with a bit of a bang. And I think that, uh, that that's only fair considering this race finished with a real bang with that uh, battle between uh, Charles and, uh, and um, I was going to say Lewis, but Charles and Max. But uh, Lewis very much, uh, you know, saying that, uh, well, I mean, just bluntly saying that uh, they're still far off of Ferrari and and Red Bull. And I think it's obvious and unless they can really turn it around that they're, we're, we're going to be seeing more of the same. I think we're going to see Ferrari and Red Bull battling race in and race out. And even though uh, George had a good result on, on Saturday, Lewis did sneak into the points after all that. They were quite a bit off of the pace and they've got a lot to do to to close that gap to the, the the Red Bulls and the Ferraris if they want to get into that conversation for race wins and obviously have their name thrown into the hat for title contenders this year. I think they've got some fundamental challenges with that car. I think they knew about these problems coming out of Barcelona. I think by the time they got to Bahrain for winter testing, they had a pretty good idea of what they needed to do. But you can't simply produce a new part overnight. It takes weeks to get a part designed and into development. The pipeline journey can be two, three, four weeks or or many, many months. Now, it's reported that Mercedes is bringing a brand new floor to Australia and that they should have a pretty significant overhaul of the car by the time we get to Imola. My thought is the biggest issue that they're probably having right now is related to downforce. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because they projected that they were going to be generating significantly more downforce through the floor than they actually are. But they are having significant issues sealing air under the car. And what's happening is they're encountering the porpoising issue. So I think what they've ended up having to do to mitigate the amount of porpoising they're experiencing is they've had to raise the ride height. So by raising the ride height, they're mitigating or limiting the amount of porpoising, but they're also sacrificing or compromising downforce in the process. Now, where I was very, very surprised this weekend is clearly they went with two different setups for Russell's car and for Lewis's car going to the qualifying session. So when we talk about when we talk about a setup, we're talking about, hey, how did you dial in the suspension? How stiff were the dampers? What was the specific right height? Where did you place the winglets? All those little pieces. In this case, they went with a different strategy for Russell than they did with Lewis. I think what 
Lewis experienced was nothing short of a disaster from a performance perspective. I can't necessarily mm. fault him entirely, but obviously it's a combination of the car plus the driver. It's very possible that Lewis did a sensational job. We just don't know it because he didn't get out of Q1. What I was very surprised about was the fact that he started on the grid. My assumption was that he was going to start from the pit lane, which would have given the team an opportunity to significantly rework the setup. But when I was talking mm-hmm. to Tim Haraney earlier today, he had made a comment that the setup that he was actually running for qualifying was better suited for the race. So there weren't really many improvements. And this is what I was hmm. reading into what Tim was saying. There weren't really many sensational improvements that they could have made to that setup that would have put him in the pit lane. So they ended up starting him on the grid because it was pretty much dialed in as it should have been for the race. And to Hamilton's credit, he did a really great job of running 40 plus laps deep on that hard tire that he started on, which is insanely good tire management. But there was a, there was a flaw from the team in the sense that they only called him in the box towards the end when he was a couple of hundred meters past the entrance to the pit lane. And he was obviously frustrated by that. And following the race, he was interviewed in the post-race show And they specifically asked him, like, hey, how are you feeling about your performance today? And I quote from Lewis Hamilton, personally, I feel like I maximized everything. And he continued, I don't know if we did as a team. And it's not often Mm. that Lewis can be so pointed. And I talked earlier about the fact that Lance Stroll is often very inclusive. Like, we did great we did great, or we've got some opportunities. The last time I remember Lewis speaking like this was Monaco when he was very, very frustrated and shared some, I would say, negative thoughts on the team radio as he came in seventh, I think, in that that Grand Prix. But uh, he's very, very clear that he feels like he's dialed in 100% and max or extracting maximum value from that car. And that as a greater team, there's significant work left to do so we should see a new floor in albert park in two weeks but a total upgrade and a total overhaul of this car isn't due for a few weeks Mm -hmm. after that and then in the meantime it's not as though ferrari and red bull themselves won't continue to bring upgrades so the good news for mercedes is obviously russell's much more comfortable with the car than than obviously lewis is at this point not to take away from his pole or his podium in the first race but there's still 21 Grand Prix left. This season is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Yeah, totally. And the, and the one thing uh, just to that point is that um, I find fascinating that uh, George seems to feel a little bit more at home in that car compared to Lewis is that Lewis has been involved in the process that, that uh, involving the design and the build of this car. So it's not like uh, this is a bit of a surprise. I mean, George being a reserve driver and then a Williams driver, I mean, he's not really been privy to everything else that the, they've been uh, discussing. But yeah, like you say, it's uh, not a sprint. It's a marathon. Long way to go. But uh, will they be able to close that performance gap to Red Bull and uh, Ferrari uh, soon enough? That's the $64,000 question. We'll just have to watch this space, as they say. And talking about space is another good uh, battle that we uh, would be remiss if we didn't uh, mention along the way here is uh, the good scrap that we saw between K-Mag in the Haas and Fernando Alonso in the Alpine before uh, Fernando's untimely retirement uh, there. But you have to think with uh, K-Mag's two points finishes in the first couple of races here, that uh, despite the lack of sponsorship on that car, you have to think that uh, for potential sponsors, that Haas is looking pretty good now. Because if uh, MSC can get uh, you know get himself uh, you know sorted out a little bit, I mean, the way that I see it, if Kevin Magnussen is able to put this thing into Q three, he's able to uh, bring it home in the points and things like that. 
where I'm seeing uh, Mick Schumacher on the, uh, the the development curve of his career is that he should be able to take this car. He should be able to take it to easily into Q2, should be fighting for points at some point uh, in the season, if not already. I think he realizes that himself. And a team that's been a bit of a, you know, a, a bit of a... Um, a target for criticism on this show for the longest time is uh, not looking not looking too bad at the moment, are they? Not at all. And I promise you that Mick Schumacher, in, in putting aside the fact that there was that unfortunate shunt in qualifying and the car was destroyed, he has learned more. I promise you, he has learned more about being a Formula One driver in the first two Grand Prix of this season than he did all last year because yes. it is so important for a young driver to be racing aside an experienced driver because the amount of intel that is shared from one to the other is immense. And even though he didn't get to compete in the Grand Prix this weekend, he would have been sitting in that garage absorbing every ounce of data that was coming off K-Max car. The data, the telemetry, or telemetry, the breaking points, when he was on the throttle, when he was applying the battery, like all of that information is incredibly value to valuable to MSC in his personal development. And last year, when he was racing next to Nikita Mazapan in an absolute write-off of a car, there was no data being made available to him that would help his development. He is learning mm-hmm. so much being partners with KMAX. So unfortunately, he didn't get on the grid today. He does deserve praise for getting into Q2 this weekend. That was fantastic. But he is going to learn so much by being able to observe and watch KMAX, the way he prepares for the race, the way he conducts himself, as well as looking at the telemetry and data that is being extracted from his car in every practice and every qualifying session. And let's be very clear here that KMAX obviously got that multi-year deal with Haas, but Mick Schumacher is very much the future of the sport and it behooves Haas to do everything they can to assist with his development. So really great situation all of a sudden for Mick. You know, a month ago I was saying this is a nightmare situation for him. All of a sudden he finds himself in a really great situation. And like you said, from a, a sponsorship perspective, Haas incidentally is an absolute blank canvas, literally a blank canvas because it's a white car without a lot of sponsors. <laughs> yeah. But you have to think there are some big American companies yeah. that are now salivating and German companies possibly salivating at getting their logos on that car. You know, I, I think we have to give K-Mag props because this is a guy that came in only a week and a half uh, before the season after Haas parted ways with uh, with Nikita Mazepin, a guy that uh, has been out of uh, Formula One for a year. I mean, he was previously with Haas in 2020 when then they parted ways with him and Roman Grosjean. Uh, Rogro went over to IndyCar. Kevin Magnussen's been racing in uh, endurance cars for the last year. He comes in and basically looks like he hasn't skipped a beat in Formula One. And I think that was one of the the, the comments that Jensen Button had made uh, during the commentary today that uh, Magnussen was complaining how sore his neck was or stiff it was, just uh, from a conditioning point of view and the 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 the, the excessive G forces that uh, that that he's been subjected to this over the course of the weekend. And you know, it's just different than the the type of racing that he's been doing over the past uh, couple or over the past year but I think that he's done an amazing job to come into a team that clearly needed somebody like himself an experienced journeyman in Formula One take this car by the scruff of the neck so to speak and and just uh, go out there and put some decent laps down and he's had two really 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 good races to start the year this is a team that's really struggled and like i say i mean we've been very critical about them i know a lot of people in 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 our community a lot of you know they've been very critical about them too 
but uh, you, you can't help but, but feel that that they must, themselves, Hass, I mean, must be feeling a lot better now compared to where they you know started last year and especially where they finished 2021. I think uh, it, it's they're, they're in a good spot now or more promising spot than they were even just a couple of weeks ago, right? It's where I get a little bit frustrated with Nikki, mm-hmm. Nicholas Latifi. Obviously, we're big homers and, and we're always going to cheer for the Canadian drivers. But Nicholas Latifi's here two races into this season. He's looking extraordinarily poor out there and his teammates not looking a lot better. And you talk about the fact that he's struggling to come to grips with this new package and and the personality of these cars and, and how to turn them in and when to get on the brakes and when to find optimum grip. But to your point, Kevin Magnuson had no involvement in the development of this car, wasn't in Spain. He gets thrown into that seat almost immediately before the first Grand Prix of the season, and, and he finishes fifth. It would have been one thing if he'd come in midway last season in a car that he'd driven before and he was familiar with it, but these cars are 50 kilograms heavier than anything he's ever driven before from a Formula One perspective. The unsprung weight, the 18-inch wheels and the tires, it is fundamentally a different racing discipline, yep. specifically compared to Indy, but even compared to what Formula One was last year. So again, I don't think you can understate the contributions that he's made so quickly. And this is where I get a little bit frustrated once again, when I look at Lance Stroll and I look at Nicholas Latifi, I'm like, you guys were involved in the development of these cars. You were in the Sims, you were in Spain, or you were in Spain, you were in Bahrain. And I get it, Nicholas Latifi missed a lot of time because of the brake fire. But ultimately, I'm far less sympathetic to those two drivers than I ever happened before. When somebody like Kevin Magnus and can jump into a Haas and score double points finishes in the first two Grand Prix of the 2022 championship. Yeah, great comparison. I think that's uh, a very, very astute uh, observation on your behalf, Mark. So, I mean, we've uh, touched on it here and there throughout the show, but you know, much. I, I hope the show has been a little bit as uh, almost as exciting as the race itself. Probably not, but uh, <laughs> it's been about as long. It's been about as long. <laughs> I'm teasing. Let, <laughs> not, not quite. Um, anyways, uh, the, the the last several laps uh, of the, uh, the the race was a, a real treat to watch. It was some great racing between Max Verstappen, some just wonderful moves uh, to take the lead uh, from you know away from Charles and Charles to take it back. The way that these two went, and the way that they kind of gave each other the thumbs up uh, out of the cockpit after they crossed the the the, the finish line. I thought it was uh, wonderful. Uh, anyways, Max had to say, quote, yeah, it seems like once you get quite close, when you get within half a second, you can actually have a good exit. And I think that makes it a lot more tricky to actually do the pass, let's say in the last corner compared to last year. So it's a lot harder to plan your pass. It wasn't as easy playing smart tricks in the last corner, but eventually I managed to get ahead. But then after that, he was constantly in the DRS and then with the yellow flags on the last lap, just not knowing how much you can lift, uh, whether it is allowed or not. End quote. So, I mean, Max obviously trying to play a bit of the mental game to get around Charles there, but also an interesting admission, just the way that the cars are. Yeah, it's easy to follow, but they're obviously not 100% um understanding or used to the way that uh, you know these cars behave and react uh, because he said he just wasn't able to plan it uh, quite as uh, maybe he would have done it in, in the past i mean this is uh compared to what charles leclerc told, uh, told uh, sky sports after the race quote i don't think there was much more that i could do 
there was one opportunity that we missed a little bit with the yellow flag in turn one. So we didn't have the DRS there and it could have been an opportunity to at least be alongside Max at the end of the straight. Apart from that, I think we did everything right as a team. Strategy, pit stops, the dummy call and Checo at the beginning. So we were working well as a team. I think the only thing that we missed this race was maybe a bit of a lower downforce level, but development will be key this year and we need to push it to the maximum, end quote. So that was very, uh, you know, some interesting comments there from uh, from Charles Leclerc as well. That was really uh, interesting too with the dummy on Checo. I mean, that, that worked out, you know, perfectly for Ferrari. Obviously, they could not have foreseen Nicky putting it to the wall and then the, the, the safety car and all that. But I mean, it... Um, they they really did set it up nicely and it's just a shame that we we didn't actually get to see that because they really tried to sell that whole pass to overtake things and you know Checo went in first but i remember when watching the race that uh, you know my wife made the interesting comment it's like oh that's interesting from ferrari but let's not forget how good that red bull are when it comes to strategizing and coming up with uh, their own uh, you know pit stop timings and things like that and uh, you know it, it it was just it was just a shame we didn't get to see that happen uh, you know first of all the dummy and whether or not the strategy that ferrari had was going to work or not what, what are your thoughts mark this was a, a very disjointed grand prix weekend in in a lot yeah. of ways i don't think we're going to be able to quickly get past the the circumstances of of Friday. But if we look at what was happening on the track in isolation of the the greater geopolitical context, I think we saw some really interesting things beginning to happen. And that is the emergence of immense racecraft that we haven't seen before, right? Like if we were talking about a Grand Prix last year, more often than not, we would probably be talking about stewarding decisions and the fact that track limits weren't called and there was contact in a corner and it was called one way versus how it was called the the prior week, et cetera. But I think what we're beginning to see is that this could be a championship whose conversation and narrative is dominated by what's happening on the track in a good way. And so it should be, yeah. Absolutely. And what we saw over those last eight laps and what we saw between K-Mag and Hamilton and K-Mag and Alonso and Alonso and Ocon is actual Formula One racing. Like we're actually seeing a motor race and what we saw between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen over those last eight laps was absolutely exceptional racing. And it wasn't just a matter of one driver getting on the throttle and trying to pass another. There was actual strategy and, and racecraft. And, you know, we talked last week about the fact that twice Charles Leclerc had let Max through knowing that he could get him in a DRS zone. And he let he let Max through once this race and quickly got him. And then Max realized, aha, I can't allow that to happen again. And he didn't fall for it the fourth time. And just the back and forth and the racecraft between the two of them was exceptional. And again, this is given the fact that they have very little experience with these cars. They're still mm-hmm. learning the cars. They're still learning how closely they can follow. They can, they're still learning the toe. They're still learning the grip. The fact that we saw such great racing today is, is reflective of something very special that could be upon us, which is a fantastic 2022 championship. But all the credit in the world to both of those drivers because those last eight laps were absolutely thrilling. And then you have to factor in as well the race was decided by one half of a second as much as as much as Verstappen seemed to be building on that lead at the end and clearly had better tires or better grip in those rear tires he only won the race by a half second just phenomenal i don't think any of us could have asked for more and ultimately if if the racing is like this right down to the wire in the final race of the season in november 
I don't care who wins as long as we're treated to racing like this every single week because this is what we tune in for. And I think you and I have been desensitized in a, in a way because we consume Formula One to such a degree and we have for so long that over the last six or seven years, we've become accustomed to the absence of racing, that if a team scores a win, maybe it's because of strategy, maybe there's a DNF, maybe someone takes advantage of a safety car. We don't typically see a lot of people jostling for position by actual racecraft, and that's what mm-hmm. we're seeing this year. So in incredibly exciting. Kudos to Max Verstappen, a huge win starting fourth in the grid. Charles Leclerc, so, so close. One half of a second off of starting the championship with back-to-back wins. But uh, I'm sure we'll see an awful lot of these two as the season continues on. Yeah, me too. I, I really hope that it's uh, that that's just the way it's going to play out because it was exciting. I mean, I was jumping out of my chair. We all were. It was it was just a lot of fun to watch. And again, uh, it is exciting to see the way that these cars are developing. That the the, the racing that they'd uh, promised and really, I guess maybe. Uh, well, they, they, they said it was going to happen, and then maybe they had their, their, their fingers crossed that they'd be able to, to deliver on that. So it, uh, it's, it's been a fascinating and exciting start to the season. It was just uh, obviously unfortunate for Red Bull and Bahrain to, or last week that they had that double DNF again right at the finish there, which was incredible. But it's just um, it's all these sort of interesting uh, little subplots and little storylines and these all these little things that happen in and around every race in every season in Formula One. But we're, we're, we're two races into it. The season is well and truly on. We get to, we get a week's break here before we head back to Australia for the first time in a couple of weeks for the weekend of the uh, the 8th, 9th, and the 10th of April. So that'll be great to, to get back there. Excited to, to see what the new changes to the Albert Park track are going to be like because we didn't unfortunately see that uh, circuit last year. It sounded like it was going to happen at some point and then it didn't. This year it's on for sure. So, you know, is it going to be more of the same? I I certainly hope so. But my skepticism, or maybe not my skepticism, but maybe any questions I had that maybe Bahrain was a bit of a fluke, I think was maybe downplayed a little bit that these cars and this uh, the, these new regs are are for real they're legit and i really hope that uh, we see more of the, re- uh, the the more of the same in australia the week after next you know a couple of quick updates before we uh, turn off the lights which is another term i've i've lifted from you i should probably get an, an f1 fantasy update <laughs> so here is yes. the here's the proverbial weekly update for the scuderia f1 featuring vincenzo landito f1 fantasy super league so not a lot of movement at the top this week Currently number one, and again, I I still can't get my head wrapped around this. We have 2,016 entries in in our fantasy league. Thank you to everyone for participating. Number one, though, Jesse H. from Canada with 561 points. Number two, Sean B. with 538 points. Uh, number three, uh, this individual, for whatever reason, didn't actually label their team, so I can't assign credit, but 525 points. Number four, Edward Jason S. Haas Power, question mark, 520 points. Next up, number five, Rubens Ferrari, Ruben J. with 518 points. Arter P. is number six with 516 points. Matthew M. from the U.S., number seven with 510 points. Number eight, Diavolo Scalato, Jason P from the US with 507 points. Number nine, William C with 501 points. Number 10, Cargo Fast 
Reed S from Canada with a whopping 496 points. I'm currently ranked 280th, I think, so I am not doing particularly well, but kudos to everybody that is doing well. And just a reminder, too, of two things. One, we're dropping a podcast interview this week with Seth Whiteberg. Seth is a writer and TV producer in the United States that's worked extensively with podcasters, including Netflix. He was an executive producer on Patriot Act, which is one of my favorite shows on that platform. He's going to join us this week to do an interview talking about the mechanics and the business side of putting together a show like Drive to Survive. Next week, we have a, a an interview with Elizabeth Blackstock, which we'll speak to a little bit more next week. And also, if you're interested, I joined Tim Haraney this week to talk about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix with him. So if you're interested, highly recommend you subscribe to and check out uh, this week's Racing Pod. Yeah, exactly. You can find that at tsn.ca forward slash tsn-racing-pod. You can search up Tim on social media at Tim Haraney, and you can find his podcast anywhere uh, you get your Formula One podcast. And that is it. That is a wrap for the show tonight. You can give us a follow on Twitter at f one pod. That's all one word. And you can give me a follow at markdailyf1 and Mr. Hamilton at Mark and Van City. And that's a wrap. We'll be back in a couple of days with uh, Mr. H's interview with Seth Whiteberg, and then back with the weekly news show at the end of the week. And boy, we've uh, certainly hit the ground running here on the podcast. And thank you all once again for joining in. Thank you for the emails, for the comments. Thanks for all of you in the live chat uh, tonight or the live stream on uh, YouTube. Great to see a bunch of you out on uh, late on a Sunday night. And that's it, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Bye for now.